The National Association of Elementary School Principals is proud to introduce the Women in Leadership podcast, hosted by Jessica Gomez and Andrea Thompson. The NASP Center for Women in Leadership is dedicated to the strategic study of women administrators and the unique challenges that they face as educational leaders because of their gender. The work of the center is multifaceted, focusing on identifying strategies to elevate women as they pursue career opportunities, creating a strong network of women leaders, and eliminating gender bias. Welcome to the NASP Center for Women in Leadership podcast. I am Jessica Gomez, one of the co-fellows of the center. And I'm Dr. Andrea Thompson, the other co-fellow for the Center for Women in Leadership. Well, thank you for joining us today. In a 2019 article from the Leadership Institute, it stated that work-life balance is predicated on the idea that for women to be happy, they must have it all. The unfair notion that is being sold to women is that if only you can find a way to organize your work better, you can have a more fulfilling personal life. Well, today we're going to be talking with Pam Gildersee Hernandez on exactly this topic, taking a hold of our work-life balance. So Pam, welcome to the podcast. Can you please share a little bit with our audience more about who you are? Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for having me here today to talk about such an important topic that impacts every generation of women. And to tell you a little bit about me, and we'll dive into how I find balance as well, is I'm a mom, I'm an educator, I'm a doctoral student, and someone who practices yoga to keep myself in physical shape and to keep myself centered. But, you know, most importantly, I am an educator and a public school leader that believes in all students. And public education offers a pathway that determines the life and the future of every child. We have great power in what we do and when we show up well to make sure that all students' needs are met or to stand up a system of injustices that put barriers and gateways there. So showing up mentally rested with boundaries in place, great self-care, can literally change the lives of the children that we serve. 100%, Pam, 100%. Wow, I love the way you tied that in right into how we do the job and to why we do the job. Now, there are several myths about work-life balance. For example, the authors of the Complete Guide to Work-Life Balance for School Leaders talked about um, leadership, that while leadership does demand commitment, the idea that it demands the sacrifice of one's own well-being is a dangerous myth. So Pam, now what would you say to female leaders about the challenges that they're likely to face with work-life balance that male leaders might not? As women, we are given all the social cues within our families and society from the moment we are born 
that we need to be able to take care of it all. We are here to serve others. We're here to keep the home clean, organized, take care of the children, take care of our husbands, take care of the grocery shopping. We get into teaching, into the education professional because we are by nature nurturers. And we bring that self-sacrificing part of ourselves to our workplace as well as our home environment. And we seek to serve. And we're serving children. And because that speaks so deeply to our heart and the core of who we are, it's hard to sometimes take a break and walk away. And as leaders and administrators, we serve teachers. And we see in our teachers the same self-sacrifice. We see them staying late hours. We see them staying up late to grade papers. We see their emails at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. It's ingrained in us yesterday. And I thought about this question. And so I also asked my stepdaughter, who's in her 30s, to tell me a little bit about the self-sacrifice. And she did not pause. She didn't have to think about it. Immediately, she said, we have to do everything, right? And it was that gasp of air. And speaking to, I have to serve other women. I have to show up well. I have to have the food prepared. I have to be organized. I'm supposed to take care of myself. And she went right into everything we are talking about. And it struck me that we teach this to each other as women. We don't teach each other how to have boundaries and balance. We teach each other how to sacrifice ourselves for those around us, when in truth, we're stronger when we take care of ourselves first. That is, that is so powerful, Pam. As, as you were sharing what your daughter had said, it just hit me like, absolutely. That's exactly what happens. You almost just can't like, you almost just talking about it almost makes you lose your breath a little bit in terms of all the things that uh, we carry because, you know, we just, we, we put such high expectations on ourselves. And I know from personal experience, and, and I think all of us here and probably everybody listening that um, modeling and encouraging work-life balance is helpful for me as an elementary school principal, not only to my teachers and my staff, but also to my own family because they're watching, right? And what are we teaching them? So what are some specific things that we can incorporate into our lives that could serve as a model and help encourage others to work towards a healthier work-life balance? So I laugh a little bit when I give this answer, structure and consistency. I am by nature a highly spontaneous person. I see things that are wonderful and beautiful everywhere I go, people that I want to meet, people that I want to engage in, and it is easy for me to get distracted by what is possible. What we need to do is sometimes narrow our focus. And by creating the structures and routines in our lives that show that we value our nutrition, that we value our sleep, that we value our exercise, most importantly, our time with our family and our friends. It allows others to see that this is something that they can value just as equally, and it lets them see where our boundaries are. For example, I practice yoga on a regular basis, whereas folks will, throughout the day, be very comfortable coming in and saying, hey, Pam, you know, do you have a moment? Do you have this? Do you have that? Come 4.30 when it's time for me to head out to yoga. That is something that I have just shared with folks that, you know, this is really important to me. It makes me feel well. It helps me show up well. Nobody has ever questioned it. Nobody has ever hesitated. 
and I'll get the question, are you available afterwards? And frequently I am. Absolutely. If you're an amazing person and you're doing great things for kids, I'm going to always be available, right? And I know that resonates with the self-sacrifice. But when we, when we put the structures in place and we're really clear that this is the time in which I spend with my family, people become very respectful of it. They understand. And so it's important that we put structure and routine in place, be mindful of when we're getting off track and getting distracted. Um, we can set alarms on our phones to let us know it's time to move on, and then encourage that in the people that we serve and encourage it in our teachers. I'm going to say once again, we do this as leaders, and when we self-sacrifice as leaders, our teachers see us modeling that, and it causes them to do the same, and it causes them to show up tired for our students and feeling like that's the expectation, and I, I do believe that's part of why we're seeing such a high burnout rate with our, with our educators. I think you definitely hit it on the nail, Pam. That's exactly what's happening. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I really have not heard anyone actually say that, that as leaders, school leaders, we're actually modeling for our teachers the expectation that self-sacrificing should go on, but then looking at the negative impact that that could have on them. So... You talked about boundaries, setting boundaries, structures, and balance. What if we do not do that and we continue not maintaining a healthy work-life balance or at least a proper work-life blending? We could call it that, work-life blending. What impact can that have on our physical, emotional, and mental state? Thank you so much for that question, Andrea. There's a lot of research out there that talks about our levels of serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, and how it impacts the way we show up. So getting that rest and setting those boundaries is really important to maintaining that regulated state of hormonal balance. And that goes for men and for women. That's, those aren't just female hormones. Um, when we have those in place, our, I mean, I'm going to get a little nerdy on us all right now, you know, but it really helps us move into being able to have strong executive functioning in the prefrontal portion of our brain. Because when we're tired, we naturally start to work on autopilot. Autopilot puts us into what's frequently referred to as the lizard brain. And that's where we start to work out of maybe some old habits, you know, um, that are not healthy. It causes us to work from a place of stress, where what we want to do is we want to be able to make decisions and interact with people with conscious intention. Conscious intention comes when we are rested and we have taken care of ourselves. It helps us to be calm. It helps all those chemicals in our body stay regulated. And that's what we need to have as leaders and what we need to model for everyone who is impacting our kids. Thank you, Pam. Yeah, you know, you're hitting you're hitting it on the nail with everything that you're sharing because it's especially right now during COVID, because we're still going through it, right? We're still there are still those challenges that we're facing. We're still working through some of the trauma that that has come along with that. And so, you know, we've talked about the challenges and the impacts of finding balance, but as well as some strategies for working towards a healthier work-life balance. So the impacts that you share with us, um, I believe, often come from the fact that as women, we often place higher expectations on ourselves, right? I think, I know that I do. I often 
place them so much more higher for myself than I do for anybody else. Um, so with that said, uh, no one but ourselves will provide that work-life balance, that we must seek it. So what are some examples of boundaries? You mentioned some boundaries, um, boundaries and reasonable expectations for ourselves uh, that we can make explicit to others. And you really started to touch on this earlier about, um, you know, making sure that you let them know I'm going to be leaving at 4.30 and um, that in in the end will help us achieve a healthier work-life balance and in turn benefit our, our emotional, our mental, and our physical state. So can you elaborate more on some of those techniques and some of those ideas and tips that you started to share with us earlier? Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Um, so being conscientious and conscious about how we transition out of our conversations, out of our work tasks, and setting those time limits. One of the things that I recommend to people is setting a timer. Because frequently somebody is speaking and it's hard to pull ourselves out because we are listening and we want to be fully present for everyone. But there's that tug at the same time for what is next. Or that tug for, I really need to use the restroom or have a snack before what is next. And so we have now have these fabulous devices in which we can set a timer and that timer goes off and it's what I like to refer to as a third point of contact so that it distracts us and it says, gosh, this is so wonderful, right? That's my timer that let me that lets me know I, I need to go to what is next. And we can either wrap up or we can schedule more time for later because sometimes that's really important. We need to continue to be fully present for the conversation that we're involved in. Um, delay send on our email. Right. Let's own it. We're going to answer those emails. Right. Yes. We really want people answering us at night or over the weekend. I know. I so I started looking for themes in my own emails. I get most emails on Friday and it's largely people that are trying to wrap up concerns that have been building throughout the week. I'd let them build up. I answer them and I put delay send for 8 a.m. for Monday morning. So people must think I'm working like crazy on Monday morning at 8 a.m. Right. However, what happens then is people have had a time to think and calm down and problem solve themselves. The next highest number of emails I get is Monday morning. The majority of those emails say thank you. And then things settle down during the week. So those are two quick strategies that we can use to help us transition into our communications that can take a lot of our time and our bandwidth while still allowing us to be fully present for those that we care about, for those that we are serving, for those who are serving the children that are the reason why we show up every single day. And Pam, one of the things you mentioned, you know, the whole delay send of our email, um, and you talked about this earlier, is what are we modeling, right? So, you know, we might be taking, we may be working a little bit during the weekend to send those emails out, but when we model the fact that nothing went out over the weekend, uh, that really is, it speaks volumes to those who are watching. So that's a, I love that tip. And I, I really try to remind myself of that often because it really does signify to others. Those are one of those explicit, um, explicit things that you can show to others that they can visually see like, okay, she waited until Monday until get to get back to me where she could have worked over the weekend, but you know what? She values that time. And I'm, I appreciate that because it's okay for me to value that time also. Yes. And I, believe it also sets the understanding with the, the teachers that I serve that I expect you to take care of yourself. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that, Pam, because that reminds me of when I, I changed the day of the week when I would send out the newsletter. Because after the newsletter, um, a lot of questions and emails would come in. Yes. So shifting the day when they would get it would minimize that Friday, you know, waiting to bombard. So um, thank you for that. So, so Pam, do you have any book recommendations for female leaders who are looking to find balance or are supporting other women in achieving work-life balance? I have so many books. I want to give a library of books to women everywhere so that we can all see that this is just part of how we have enculturated our gender. There are wonderful books that we have read together. Um, I'm going to pull up. I know this is a podcast that you and I could see each other right now. How Women Rise is a fabulous book that dives into some of the Things that we do as women that are not necessarily reasonable expectations, but it also calls out some of the things that we've had to do because of the gender differences and because we have had a male-dominated society in leadership positions, particularly in the field of education. It makes us more cognizant of what we need to be doing to rise and to keep balance while also continuing to move up that ladder. Burnout. The Secret of Unlocking the Stress Cycle really jumps in with a lot of what's also in the confidence code where we take a look at how does the brain function, how, does our, how do our hormones function so that we can be aware of those rough moments that we have. It's not a reflection of who we are. It's perhaps a reflection of what is our state of rest, right? What is our state of self-care? And I have the great pleasure of being in a doctoral program right now. And we're reading this lovely book called Presence. Uh, Peter Senge is one of the main authors. And he writes quite a bit about being consciously present and understanding systems as a whole. And that we can look at it as our hand as a separate item, our arm, our leg, our emotions. We see them all as separate parts and separate, separate pieces but really they're part of one whole. And every single piece of us, every emotion, every pain, every quirk, every joyful moment impacts our entire system. Yes, thank you for mentioning that because he's one of my best, Peter Senge, when it comes to talking about systems and structures, that's the guy. So I'm glad to hear him. <laughs> yes, I'm glad to hear Senge bringing it into that balance. Thing. That, that is wonderful. I'm definitely going to be getting that one present. So Pam, you mentioned so many great strategies. I like when you said that we should think about our state of rest. Mm -hmm. Now I've asked about self-care, but I've never asked about what is my state of rest. So that's new for me. So being kind to ourselves, giving ourselves grace, and implementing a plan for work-life balance will not only contribute to our productivity, but more importantly, it will contribute to our overall health and well-being. You made that so easy, sound so easy. <laughs> With the right mindset, the right strategy, and the right information, so many of which, which you shared, we can enjoy our personal life as well as pursue our professional dream. So Pam, thank you so much for sharing your insight 
on such an important topic, work-life balance. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, NAESP. I appreciate your leadership and your support of educators. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about NAESP and the Center for Women in Leadership at naesp.org.